one wrong decision that ends up in the public eye that people find out about. Like, that's all it would take. And, like, how incredible is it that I am not doing that? So I've had kind of a difficult week, and I was sharing this with a friend, and my friend was kind of not being that sympathetic. They basically were just saying, you know, cheer up, man. It could be worse. Like, you could be stuck underground in a hole full of water. And I was like, I know you mean well. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 167. Thank you for joining us. If you're a first-time listener, that was a dad joke. We start every episode with a dad joke. I hope you enjoyed it. But if you're a first-time listener, please rate and review this podcast so other people can find it. We really love to hear your feedback. And if you haven't done that in a while and you've been listening for a while, please feel free to do that again. It does help this podcast continue to grow. You can visit us on our website, manafft.com or manafoodforthought.com. Click on the Give button if you're interested in becoming a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month to help keep this on the air and cover the cost of the podcast. Uh, But also, you can click the subscribe button and you can be part of our email list, which gets our weekly psalm reflection sent to you earlier than anyone else. And so it goes straight to your inbox. You don't have to go to the website to find it. But if you enjoyed this episode, the highest compliment you can pay us is to share this with a family or friend. And if you choose to do so on social media, make sure you tag us at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram. And you can find all of our other social media handles and contact information at manafoodforthought.com. So with all that being said, thanks for joining us for this episode. Let's get into our joy, junk, and Jesus. So a lot of joy in my life over the past week or two, because I pre-recorded the last episode. Excuse me. So I was away at a ministry conference, the Catholic Youth Ministry Convention that Life Team puts on in Scottsdale, Arizona every year. Um, and I'm part of the team, uh, of a team that helps assist with that conference and I get to enjoy it as well. And so I had a really great time. It's like a big Catholic family reunion and got to build camaraderie with some of the local youth ministers near me that were there that I didn't know as well. And so that was really wonderful. And right when I came home from that, my, my parents came and visited. So it was really great to see them. And today, as I'm recording, this is my son's, uh, baptism day. So he got baptized today, uh, a few years ago. And so we're gonna have a little celebration and, you know, have a treat. And today was also his first time away. Uh, they have uh, a vacation Bible school near us that him and my daughter went to. And my daughter has done that before, but it was his first time. He had a little bit of a rough day, but it was it was a good day to kind of mark a, a moment of, um, you know, him being a bigger kid and being able to handle something like that. So, um, and I heard from my wife, it went pretty well. So I haven't seen him yet since we dropped him off. So we'll see. Um, my junk was that I was away from my family for a week, which was really difficult. And, you know, I was helping and running around and I had a very, uh, a pretty Im- important job um, doing hospitality for all of the speakers uh, and, you know, being guest hospitality for all of the the people that were there serving at the conference. And so um, I was running around a lot, I really enjoyed it. Um, but the day it was done, you know, we, we clean up the conference and then I leave the next day and I was just so exhausted. And then a six hour drive home on my own. I don't think I've yet to recover fully. I'm still a little mentally like drained and unfocused, not to mention like my family was out. So we're entertaining and we were going out a lot. And so it was just, it was very tiring week and weekend. So um, still not all mentally there. It's taken me a long time to get very simple things done today. Um, But yeah, so my Jesus moment has been just the grace of God and all of that. And two weeks ago, 
Um, the last time I had Bible study, um, I want to give a shout out to Debbie, one of our listeners who came several hours to come to, to Bible study uh, in person, which was such a gift to have you there. Uh, so maybe we'll see you there again tonight, but but if not, either way, um, thanks so much for taking the time to do that. And uh, it was just such a gift to meet you in person and for you to take all that time to come. So a uh, special shout out to you. So I want to read the second reading for this upcoming Sunday. This is always the uh, motivation or the inspiration behind the content for every episode, all of our Thursday episodes, which is what does the liturgy say this coming weekend? So this Sunday is the 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and we're reading from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 15 for our second reading. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, which is a divided church between Uh, Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, the Jews had been expelled by the Emperor Claudius for five years, and then they were allowed to return. And you have this commingled community trying to figure out what it looks like to live Christianity, living in this very big epicenter of secular culture that worships Caesar uh, and also the pagan gods of Rome, while also trying to figure out, like, how are we meant to be? Are we retaining Jewish traditions, this or that? And so, What Paul is getting at here in this passage is just trying to hone in on the significance of what Jesus did and kind of trim all of the rest of the fat and and things away and just really hone in on the importance of what Jesus did. So this is Paul uh, writing to the church in Rome, uh, and this is what he says. Brothers and sisters, through one man, sin entered the world, and through sin, death, and thus death came to all men inasmuch as all sinned. For up to the time of the law, sin was in the world, though sin is not accounted when there is no law. But death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin, after the pattern of the trespass of Adam, who is the type of the one who was to come. But the gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, how much more did the grace of God and the gracious gift of the one man Jesus Christ overflow for the many. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul has a very uh, interesting habit of using run-on sentences. And so you have these very long, multi-clausal sentences referring to things in the Old Testament. And so basically what Paul is doing here is making an argument called in, um, in philosophy or in like rhetoric is called uh, an argumentum a fortiori, which means an argument from the stronger case. So he's basically saying, like, if through one person's actions, Adam, Adam sinned, and that brought original sin and death to the world. We all sin, so we all have this reality of death operating in our lives now. But if that's the case, how much more is God going to give us through the one action of Jesus Christ? Because if through the one transgression we all now experience death through the one salvific act of Jesus Christ becoming man and dying for us, how much more grace will be poured out upon us. So he's basically trying to say like, here's the sequence of events. Adam sinned that created original sin, which means we all sin. And so we all experience the wages of sin, which is death. It says that in Romans six twenty three. for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, in that same vein, we all experience death because of one man's sin. So the new Adam, Jesus, came to die for us to fix that. And now, because of that, new life is possible. There's an important distinction here. You know, original sin for us is a state or a condition. It's not an action. 
So when we're talking about the fact that like we're all born with original sin, it doesn't mean that you are inherently bad or that you did something wrong. You are created inherently good by God and everything created by God is inherently good. And it, he desires for it to be redeemed and brought to its original, brought back to its original goodness, restored. Uh, and so we're not inherently bad or awful. This is kind of a distinction between Catholics and Protestants because Protestants have this idea that like we are, we are rags, we are awful, we are dung, like we are this terrible thing. And then God, the, the sacrifice of Jesus covers us in this like blanket of snow and makes us appear pure as white. But that, you know, corrupt reality is still there. And what Catholicism says is like, no, like the perfection was there, but it got distorted. And what we're doing is more of those videos you'll see, you know, on online. I see a lot of them on Instagram reels where someone will find an old piece of furniture or an old bread cutter or an old tool and they'll restore it back to its proper use. And they'll have to take it apart and machine some of the parts and recreate bits of it, but they'll assemble it back together and make it work the way it was intended to work. And so the thing was good. It was created for something good. But over time or through this act of Adam and sin entering the world and the sins that we commit, it was corrupted. And it was no longer able to function or be in the state that it was intended. We are no longer in the state that we we're intended or created to be in. So we now live in the state of original sin. So in a sense, we're all born sinaholics. We have this, you know, you might call it original selfishness that we inherit genetically, just like we inherit physical, you know, disabilities or physical illnesses, disease, uh, even some psychological, you know, things we inherit genetically. We also genetically inherit through our spiritual genome, our spiritual family, um, this reality of original sin. And so it's something that manifests in our life, but we can choose to, you know, undergo treatment, you know, take the medicine of grace and be healed, or we can choose to let it run rampant and not care. Um, so this is an important distinction. And it's also important to note that like God is not out to punish us by saying, oh, you're sinning or you have original sin, so I'm going to punish you with death. No, death is the natural destructive consequence of sin. That's why God is always warning us that all these things are going to happen and that all this death and destruction happens in the Old Testament. It's not because God is angry and causing these things. He's warning that these things are naturally going to happen if you continue to live in sin. So he corrects and he gives law, and he's not punishing because we obey the law. He's saying if you don't do these things... And if you don't exist in the freedom that the law affords you, then you are going to experience the natural consequence of disobeying the law, of disobeying the, the life I created you to have, or distorting the life I created you to have. And the natural result of that, the natural consequence of that is death and suffering, all as a result of our sin. So God is not out to get you or punish you. You know, wisdom chapter one it says in verse, verse 13, God did not make death, nor does he rejoice in the destruction of the living. For he fashioned all things that they might have being, and the creatures of the world are wholesome. There is not a destructive drug among them, nor any domain of Hades on earth, for righteousness is undying. God is not an angry judge. God is a loving father who wants to save you from every difficulty. That's what it says in, in, in Wisdom chapter 1. Okay, and that is who God is. But the distinction is God is a loving father. He does not prevent all suffering, struggle, and difficulty. Just like any parent can't like, you know, prevent their children from going through everything. And if they did, they would have them in this bubble. And how psychologically damaging and sociologically damaging would that be? 
So we can't prevent all suffering, but, you know, because we cause some of our own suffering, others cause some of it, and he respects all of our free will. So he doesn't prevent it all. He's the most loving, attentive parent possible, but he is not a helicopter parent. He is not trying to override our free will so that we will not sin. He's constantly chasing after us, constantly pouring his grace into our lives. But whether or not we notice, whether or not we receive it, whether or not we respond is up to us. You know, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus summons the crowd with his disciples and he says to them, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. So what he's saying here, he's appealing to our free will. Like if you're trying to do this on your own and you think that you can earn your way, you are going to end up losing your life and destroying it because you're going to make a God out of yourself. You're going to fall into the sin of pride. But if you allow me to be your loving father, if you allow me to do this in you, then your life will be saved. Now, I was talking to my spiritual director this week and I was, you know, we we're talking and reflecting on the fact that like, like I could ruin my entire life with one decision, like ruin my marriage, my family, my job as a minister, my career, my public image. I could cause scandal to the church simply by making one wrong public choice, one wrong decision that ends up in the public eye that people find out about. Like that's all it would take. And like, how incredible is it that I am not doing that? And that's not by my own strength. Like we are all capable of doing that. We all have that in us. In fact, we've all probably in our lives done many of the things that public figures have been canceled for or who have gone through great scandal. We've just not been caught. They have not been brought into the light. But if everything you and I have ever done was brought into the light publicly, which will happen at the end of time, all of our sins will be made known at the final judgment to everyone and we'll see the effect every single one of our sins has had and we'll see the effect of every one of our good deeds and we'll see the effect that God's grace has had in every, in every moment of our lives. We'll know all of that, not only about ourselves, but about everyone. We'll see the whole story. And if those things came to light now, all of the things that we had done, you know, every single one of us would be canceled, very likely. So how much of a grace is it that Jesus is at work and the grace of God is at work in your life to give you the strength to say no to that destructive capability and power that is in each one of us? The fact that we are sinaholics, and yet most days we say no to the things that could destroy us, things that could do harm to our family, our career, our friends, things that could cause scandal, the things that could destroy relationships or destroy our bodies or our lives. The grace of God is that much at work in your life and in mine that we say no to those things on a daily basis. Like, how incredible is that? Like, if you thanked God today for the fact that you are existing <laughs> without experiencing the constant destructive ramifications of your own sin and selfishness. Because we, we, we will never be able to be 100% free from sin on si this side of heaven. You know, we have to strive to be free of mortal sin and serious sin that we are aware of, but we're still imperfect. We're still fallen. We're still going to have what's called concupis concupiscence, a tendency towards sin that is the result of the state of original sin that we find ourselves in and the world in. And even once we are baptized and we are freed of the punishment of original sin, it doesn't mean that our concupiscence goes away. We still have an attachment toward sin because this world has fallen and human nature has fallen and we've still inherited that from our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve. And so it's like you inherit a disease and when you're baptized, 
that disease, you know, you've been given a cure, but that doesn't mean that you still don't experience the side effects of how that affected your body. You know, like someone experiences cancer and it emaciates them and then all of a sudden they're cured miraculously or by means of medicine, whatever it is, you know, it's, you know, a miracle that anyone is cured of anything. It's, you know, a miracle of science or miracle of God, whatever it is. But that still doesn't mean that the effects have not taken their toll on the body and that that needs to also be dealt with. And the same thing is true for you and me. When we're baptized, we're cured of that state of original sin, but the effect is still at work in our lives forever. It's still at work in our world. It's still causing destruction and attraction towards sin. And so the fact that we are not falling and diving headfirst into that every day and destroying everything that we love, everything we hold dear, everything God has blessed us with is such a grace and a gift of God. Like the fact that we have these virtues of faith, hope, and love, that's only possible because God has placed them in us. That the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit are operating in our lives, that's only possible because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like we create none of that on our own. It is all such a gift. And so I, I think it's very humbling and it's a fruitful exercise in humility for you to recognize, like I did this week, that you and I are only one huge mistake, and not even a huge one, only maybe one public mistake away from destroying everything in our lives. What a grace of God it is that that is not the case today and all the days that you've lived thus far. Like, thank God for all of the hidden ways he's been at work to preserve and protect the blessings that he's given you. Maybe you feel like you don't have enough. Maybe you're constantly striving for more, but take a moment to recognize that you have what you do and it's not ruined. It hasn't been destroyed or taken from you because of the, the, the ramifications of sin, the destructive nature of original sin that's operating in the world and in our lives every day. That is a grace. That is a huge gift and mercy of God. So let's thank him for that. Let's be aware of how, how humbling that is, that we have nothing to boast about, that we have nothing to be proud of because anything good in our lives is only possible because God is preserving us from the destructive nature of sin and he is pouring blessing into our lives. We initiate none of that. We are responsible for none of it. The only thing that we have ownership of is our sin. And when we realize that and we let that humble us, we will never fall into the sin of pride. We will recognize the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, that he won for us on the cross, and by rising from the dead, proved to us that he's capable of giving us that forgiveness, that redeeming us and making us whole again, redeeming our creation, our fallen nature, and, and transforming us back into a glimpse of the people that we were created to be. What a gift that is. And so I'll pray that you, I pray that you just sit with that this week as we're in the book of Romans. The, Ro the book of Romans is such a beautiful theological treatise on salvation and justification and, and faith and works and, and all these, especially just the central gospel message, like what Jesus did for us. And so I encourage you to read it. If you've never read the book of Romans, 16 chapters, it's a little dense, but you know, read the introductory part. Maybe look up the Bible Project on YouTube and look at their introductory video on Romans. It might be two-part video, but you'll get good context. Um, and it's just such a great, a lot of the verses that you know well you know, that are quoted often, especially by Protestants, but by, by Catholics as well, are from Romans. And so, um, I would, yeah, I would just really encourage you to read that, but especially to bask and have gratitude in the fact 
that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And that in all the ways that a single sin can destroy everything, how much more is a single grace from God redeeming and restoring us to the people he created us to be. That's all I have for you this week. Until next time, God bless you, and I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.